16 more sleeps until Christmas Day. <laughs> Who's looking forward to Christmas? Who knows what you've already bought yourself for Christmas? <laughs> cool. Um, like I said uh, during the uh, announcements this morning that uh, Jane and our grandson uh, Sebastian and I gave out gifts uh, that many of you placed under the, the, the Christmas tree um, last week. And uh, do we have any of the, the photos? Uh, just I'm not sure if you saw these before. Um, so this is uh, a lot of the gifts that we gave to the Hope, um, sorry, Love, Hope and, and Gratitude Foundation. That uh, that was Glenn there. That's the uh, Spring Lake tree that we put some around. Sorry about being a bit dark, but um, that's, uh, there's young Sebastian, big smiley face. <laughs> it was a really great honour to be able to do that and to uh, to bless some families in our community. Uh, on you know, and on your behalf, we gave those gifts to the strangers, uh, people that you don't know. Um, and we thank God for that. But over the next few weeks, a couple of weeks even before Christmas, we know that we can give a gift of life to people that we do know. And that's the whole uh, theme maybe for the next couple of weeks as we start a, a series called Why Christmas. We're talking about why Christmas. Christmas means many things to many people. And so as we plot a course towards Christmas this year, we wanted to help people to understand uh, why Christmas. We tend to think that because we know what Christmas is all about, that others do too. And yet many people, uh, do they really know what Christmas is about? For many people, it's just an opportunity for a public holiday to have some time off from work. For others, it's about uh, gift giving and, and purchasing stuff and, and and getting stuff that you hope you want to get, and, and all the rest of it. So, you know, but do we really know what Christmas is about? So we're going to do, over the next couple of weeks, a series called Why Christmas. Next week, you're going to be hearing about Jesus, why he came to the earth. Uh, the week after that, you'll hear why we actually celebrate Christmas. And we want to encourage everyone uh, to invite and bring people to our special Christmas service on Sunday the 23rd of December in the evening. We're going to have a, a starting at 5 p.m. and it'll go to around about 6.30. So it starts out with a free sausage sizzle. I mean, there's great reason right there just to come out and get some sausages, some onions, a nice piece of bread and just lather it in some HP sauce. Uh, it be great. Have that drip down your forearm. So uh, and then we're going to have a great special service where we're going to sing some carols. We're going to have some items from our, our kids. There's going to be some singing items. And just for good measure, we're pretty sure that Mr. Bean's going to be showing up as well. So uh, <laughs> looking forward to a great service uh, for that. But it's a great opportunity. You know, uh, we, we can actually bring people to something and find out why Christmas really exists. And to be a part of that and to enter into the, the festivities of a great, great season. So to kick this, se uh, this series off, this morning I, I want to talk about why we need Jesus, why we need Jesus in this season. So Heavenly Father, I thank you for the power of your word. I thank you that you helped me to, to preach this word and to speak this word. I pray for open hearts, open ears 
to be able to take this message on and to do something with it, to realize that there's a, a call upon us to be able to reach out to our communities, no matter where the, we, we find ourselves, that we can introduce people to you and give the gift of life uh, in wherever we find ourselves. So I pray that your word, it, it bears fruit in your people today in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. You know, I've spoken many times uh, about loving and engaging with the people in and around about us. Most services, I will finish up the service by saying that as great as the Sunday service was, that we are about to hit our greatest area of, of ministry, where God has placed us to be effective in our workplaces, in our families, in our streets, uh, in the shopping centers, in the schools, wherever it is. That's the greatest area of effective ministry because the reality is you are the greatest person to be able to reach out to the people in those places. You're the one that's building the relationship with them. You're the one that's sharing morning tea and afternoon tea with them. You're the one that's interacting with them in that, that, that setting. So you're the most effective person that can actually shine the light of Christ to those people. So therefore, it becomes your greatest area, your calling is from Monday to Sunday. It's not just on a Sunday. Your greatest calling is not just to, to serve perhaps in one of the teams here. Your greatest calling is out there in the community and in the workplace. And that's what we try to get across every Sunday morning, that uh, that's the greatest area where God wants us. So God will reach our world through us, through you and I, as we allow him to treasure and to touch and to tell those around us of the incredible love and the grace of God available to them simply by believing in all that Jesus did for us. And just as life transitions from one world to the next through a death, it starts with a birth. And this story starts with the birth of a saviour. And I'm going to read a fairly long passage of scripture, but I believe that it just gives some context for what I want to talk about this morning. So I'm going to be reading from Luke chapter 1 verses 26 to 38, and then from chapter 2 verses 1 through to 20. So this is chapter, uh, Luke chapter 1 verse 26, and I'll, I'll just crack on. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favoured woman, the Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favour with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Jesus. You will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give you the throne, uh, give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, how can this happen? I am a virgin. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age, and people used to say she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. Luke chapter 2 verse 1 says, At the time 
uh, the Roman Emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All returned to their own ancestral homes and towns to register for this census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, his fiancée, who was now obviously pregnant. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her first child, a son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. That night, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them, Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. And suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of, he of heaven's heaven praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. I, I, in this moment, you know, like, as I was reading that before, I thought, it's like the scene in a movie, you know, there's this great big intense moment and all of a sudden the orchestra in the background starts up and that's what I thought was happening here, you know, the angel's talking to this and there's this great big orchestra cracks on and, you know, okay, just destroy, all right, okay. When, when the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem, let's see this thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph and there was the baby lying in the manger after seeing him the shepherds told every everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child all who heard the shepherd's story were astonished but mary kept these things in her heart and thought about them often the shepherds went back to their flocks glorifying and praising god for all that they had heard and seen it was just as the angel had told them christmas is the celebration of a birth. It is the celebration of a birth. And I love it that, you know, uh, the, this whole story pans out that we, we celebrate the birth of Jesus. It says, you know, like in, in uh, chapter 2, verses 8 to 11, that night shepherds were staying in their fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them they were terrified but the angel reassured them don't be afraid he said i bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people the savior yes the messiah the lord has been born today in bethlehem the city of david we celebrate christmas is about the celebration of the birth of jesus jesus was just like us he was born a baby and grew to become a man but jesus was also not really like us either in the fact that his purpose actually set him apart. It was his purpose that set Jesus apart from everybody else. He was to be the long-awaited saviour. That Jesus' birth had been foretold for generations before that. You know, the, there's many verses in the Old Testament that actually foretell about the coming of the Messiah, the saviour of God's people. In Isaiah, just as one example, Isaiah 7 verse 14 in the New King James says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. 
Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So as a society, we celebrate Christmas every year. And in celebrating Christmas, we celebrate the birth of a saviour, the only begotten son of God, and his name is Jesus. In Luke chapter 2, verses 9 to 11, it says that there was this, uh, uh, the angel said, don't be afraid, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all the people. The saviour, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. It's a great story. This is a, a story that should elicit joy and celebration from us. There's joy for everybody. You know, celebrating Christmas for some could be like uh, when a person, you know, maybe you've experienced this. You've gone into a room or you've gone to, to this place and there's this party going on. There's laughter. There's celebrating. So, you know, the, you go in there and, and, and everyone's enjoying themselves. So you start to enjoy yourself. You're, you're laughing. You're carrying on. You're celebrating. And then you turn to the person next to you and say, what's all the laughter about? What's all the, the celebration going on for? And they say, a saviour, a saviour has been born and his name name is Jesus and we're celebrating Jesus and this person says I didn't know I needed a savior you know you're laughing and you're carrying on at this party but you really didn't know why you were there but then you suddenly find out that it's about the birth of a savior and this is why we need to understand what Christmas is all about because some people don't understand that Christmas is about the birth of of, of savior It's it's a great time to celebrate but people don't understand why they're celebrating I don't understand that this was about the birth of a saviour. And some people don't realise that they need a saviour. And that's what Christmas is all about. How many people in our world just don't know that? How many people that we live with and work with don't understand that there is a saviour who came to save them, to bring salvation to them, but they're unaware of it. They just have no clue that they are in need of salvation. So it doesn't make sense that celebrating the birth of Jesus as a society, as a culture, that we know why we need a saviour. We must know why we need saviour. So that leads us to the question, why do we need Jesus? Why on earth do we need Jesus? And, and at Christmas time, it's, it's an opportunity for us to say to people that we live and work with and play with, maybe there's an open door where we can say why we actually need Jesus. See, even if Jesus was who he said he was, why do we need him 2,000 years later? It's a great question. People think that the Bible's irrelevant, that they think it doesn't apply to their lives. It's a, it's a book of tradition and rituals and, and things like that. They fail to realize that there's life in the Word of God. There's life in Christ. And not just any sort of life. There's a real life, a vibrant life, a life that, you know, just... It just like John, you saw this morning as he's talking about communion, there was something on the inside of John that couldn't wait to get out. He wanted to share all about what Christ has done for us through his death and resurrection. That's why people need to understand that there is, why do we need Jesus? Why do we need Jesus? In Matthew chapter 2, verses 9 to 11, it says, When they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. Exceedingly great joy. I mean, that's pretty good. It's great to have joy, but exceedingly great joy? I mean, come on. 
I mean, there's, there's something about exceedingly great joy. Maybe that's for the church down there. Oh, I don't know, but you know, there's exceedingly great joy. There's exceedingly great joy. It says, and when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they'd opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. See, when Jesus was born, there was a group of highly intelligent philosophers that thought Jesus was worth bothering about. So why do we need Jesus? You know what? Because there's a, that he is worth bothering with. He, for you people here today... He's worth bothering about. You thought it was significant enough to come out to, on a Sunday morning to worship God, to be in His presence, to hear His Word being spoken to you, to sing about Him and, and praise Him and, and honor Him for, for, with, with your finance as you gave to, to celebrate His birth and death and resurrection. See, these three philosophers, these three intelligent people stopped everything to take Jesus' three symbolic gifts. The first was gold. It was a present that was fit for a king. The third gift that he was given was myrrh. It's used to embalm the dead. It was a sign of Jesus' purpose of dying for all of mankind. The second gift that Jesus was given was frankincense, which was used in the temple as a symbol of prayer, and it pointed to a relationship with God. You know what? I think that relationships are exciting. They're the most important aspects of our lives, really. We have relationships with our parents, our grandparents. You know, I spoke to my grandmother this week on Wednesday when she turned 103. I phoned her in England just to say, praise God. We're looking forward to seeing you in April. Hang on. We're coming, we're coming. Relationships are huge. We think about our, our children, our grandchildren. We think about if you're, if you're in this circle, your boyfriend or your girlfriend, your spouse. Relationships are hugely important. And Christianity is first and foremost about relationships more than it is about rules. Now, the rules are important, but you know what? They're not as important as the relationship. It's the relationship that gets us into heaven. It's not what you know, it's who you know. Come on. It's about a person more than a philosophy. It's about the most important relationship of all, our relationship with the God who made us. Jesus said, that the first and the greatest commandment is to love our Lord God. The second most important commandment is that we love our neighbor. See, you and I were created to live in relationship with God. And until we find that relationship, there will always be something that's missing in our lives. And as a result, we often become aware of this gap, this emptiness, this void that's in our lives because someone's missing. Someone's missing. And his name is Jesus. See, one rock singer described it as by saying that there, I've got a, a deep emptiness on the inside. See, others have described it as a deep void or a, a chunk missing in their soul. And people will often try to fill this emptiness with money and riches. 
Aristotle Onassis, one of the richest men in the world, said at the end of his life, millions do not always add up to what a man needs out of life. And you're probably thinking, it's easy for a rich man to say. See, others fill the void with drugs or drink alcohol in excess or sexual promiscuity. Others try hard work or music, sport, or they seek success. And there may be nothing wrong in and of themselves with those things, but they don't satisfy the deep hunger inside of every human being that can only be filled by a person. And his name is Jesus. Even the closest human relationships, wonderful though they are, don't in themselves and of themselves satisfy this emptiness that's deep within inside of us. Nothing can fill this gap except a relationship with God for which we were made. And according to the New Testament, there's a number of different verses that say that that actually the, the reason for that void is that people have turned their back on God. And God is the only one that can satisfy that hunger within each and every one of us. Jesus himself said in, in John chapter 6, verse 35, Jesus said this. He said, I am the bread of life. In other passages, he says, I am the, uh, um, uh, the, the living water. Drink of me and you'll never thirst again. So we need to understand that only God can satisfy this hunger within us. Only Jesus can satisfy this hunger. And Jesus, I believe, does it in three main ways. The first way is that Jesus satisfies our hunger for meaning and purpose in life. He, that's what he does. He gives us meaning and he gives us purpose in life. It's a purpose and a meaning that's beyond ourselves. To live a life of fulfillment is not to live a life that's totally centered in me. It's to live a life that's centered around other people. To help other people achieve success. To help other people get through in life. At some point, everyone asks the question, what am I doing here on earth? What on earth am I here for? What's the point of life? Is there any purpose to life? There's a, a, a French philosopher, a French guy, he, his name's Albert Camus, and he says, man cannot live without meaning. We all need meaning. We all need to know that our life means something. We all want to know that. John 14, verse 6 says this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. In John chapter 10, verse 10, the Amplified Bible says this, I came so that they may have and enjoy life and have it in abundance to the full till it overflows. The Message Bible, that same passage says, I came so they can have real and eternal life, more and better life than they ever dreamed of. That's what the meaning of life is about, is to find our connection with God, to connect ourselves with His purpose and find meaning in what we're doing through Christ. That's, that's what it means to, to have a, a life of meaning and purpose. I've got a significant purpose in life. It's to connect people with Jesus. There's no greater purpose in life. And we do that through the different expressions that we have in the different spheres that we operate within. It's, it's that we carry influence in different areas and arenas of life. You are the only person that can reach the people in your workplace. 
for Christ. That's what I, I used to love in, in years gone by when I was working in the police department and we were like getting ready for, for work and, and we're getting changed into our, our uniforms in the locker room and I knew that there was another guy on the other side of the locker room who was also a Christian. And we used to have some fun. Like on a Monday morning, if we were going there, I'd yell out to him, are you there? And he'd yell out, yeah. And there's other guys in the locker room as well. And they're getting ready for their shift too. I said, what did you do on the weekend? He says, I'm glad you've asked. I went to church. I said, you're joking. That's amazing. I did too. And we had a conversation about Christ over the locker room. Everyone knew that we were Christians. We just shined the light. That's all we did. Now, I'd do it differently today. I've smartened up a little bit. But I had fun doing it. And at the time, I thought it was brilliant. I thought I was winning the world for Jesus. See, the thing is, I don't know the seeds that we were sowing. I've got to believe at some level that the joy that we had in talking about our faith has touched someone in the depth of their heart at some point as much as we were mucking around. But now I, I, I just know that there's more to life and it's about connecting people with purpose and meaning. See, other things may provide passing satisfaction, but only a relationship with our Creator do we find meaning and purpose. Secondly, Jesus satisfies our hunger for life beyond death. We want to know this more. We want to know there's more. Kathleen today would find comfort in the fact that her brother is today in glory with Jesus Christ our Lord. She would know that there's a peace and a comfort that comes to know that there is more to the life that's here on the earth. That he is now standing in the presence of God, completely whole, completely healed, completely set free and looking into the eyes and the gaze of one who loves him so much that he gave his life for him. There's something about knowing that there's a life beyond death. There's something about knowing that there's more than just what's here and now. Before I was a Christian, I didn't like to think about the subject of death. I knew some people that had experienced it. My mother committed suicide when I was 14. Then my best friend committed suicide when I was in my early 20s. My grandfather, who I was really close to, had a massive heart attack, passed away when I uh, I was 15. I've seen death. I've walked with it. I know what it's like. You know, sometimes it it just scares you. Sometimes you can get frightened about death. But when you come to Christ, He settles the issue of where you're going when you die, and it doesn't hold any more fear for me because I know where I'm going and I know the environment that I'm coming into. It's one where holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. It doesn't hold. Where is your sting, O death? It's swallowed up in him. Ecclesiastes 3 verse 11 says this, Yet God has made everything beautiful for its own time. He has planted eternity in the human heart. But even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. What? Why is that? Because there's eternity to find it out. There's this eternal life that we can experience to find out all that God's got for us. 
Eternity is in your heart. You know, why do we invite Jesus to come into our heart to be our Lord and Saviour? Because there's an infinite capacity of the human heart to love and to experience more. I don't invite Jesus to be in my mind because my mind is like a computer. There's going to be a capacity, a, 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 a stopgap. Like it's like a, a, a hard drive in a computer. There, it's just going to get filled up sometime. But the human heart has an infinite capacity to love, for grace, for forgiveness. That's why we invite him into our heart. We want to believe that there's life after death. The truth is that there is life after death, but only in Jesus do we find eternal life. Our relationship with God, which starts now, survives death and goes beyond into eternity. That's worth rejoicing. That's worth celebrating. That's why. It's important to know why we've got Christmas and why we need Jesus. See, the third thing, Jesus satisfies our hunger for forgiveness. Jesus satisfies our hunger for forgiveness. See, if we're really honest this morning, we would have to admit that we all do things that we know are wrong. Sometimes we do things of which we are deeply ashamed. More than that, there's this self-centeredness about our lives which spoils our lives sometimes. We think life is all about us, about what I can get, my needs being met. And I love what Jesus says. Jesus says in Mark chapter 7, verses 20 to 23, he says this, What comes out of us is what makes us unclean. For from within, out of our hearts, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance and folly. All these evils come from inside us and make us unclean. Our greatest need is our need of forgiveness. We may not realize that, but just as someone who has cancer needs a doctor, whether they realize it or not, so we need forgiveness whether we realize it or not. And just as with cancer, those who recognize their need are far better off than those who are lulled into a false sense of security. And by his death on the cross, Jesus made it possible for us to be forgiven and brought back into a relationship with God. At Christmas, we, we remember the fact that Jesus entered our world. He entered our world to restore relationships. The first relationship he wanted to restore was our relationship with God the Father and then the relationships around about us. Even with our enemies, God wants us to restore those, those relationships with the people that hate us and stuff. Because the Bible says, not like in the Old Testament, where it's an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. You knock my tooth out, I'm going to knock your tooth out. You, you, you poke me in the eye, I'm going to poke you in the eye. But in the New Testament, Jesus taught something different. He said, love your enemies. Pray for those who despitefully use you. Bless those who curse you. There's a shift. There's a shift. And that's what forgiveness does. To the level that we've received forgiveness of Jesus Christ and from Him is the level to which we can forgive others. You know, there's this area where because we realize of the magnitude of my own sin and the level that I've been forgiven, that I find it 
I can forgive the person who raped me when I was 14 years of age. Those things will be tested. Those things will be tested. You think you've forgiven someone and then you're, you're getting ready to come out and this actually happened to me. I was getting ready to come and preach here. I got my sermon ready and I knew that part of my ritual was that I go and get the Sunday mail before the service because I like to get the TV guide. And I, I go to the, the news agents and I pick up the Sunday mail and on the front page of the Sunday mail is the photo of the man that raped me. I took the wind out of my sails. And I, I let the team know. I said, guys, I've taken a blow this morning uh, and I just need you to pray for me. It tested whether I actually forget. To see that man's face tested everything within me about my capacity to forgive. And today I, I stand before you and I say, I've forgiven the man genuinely. I absolutely have. See, this is Forgiveness. Because I, I, I know the level to which I've been forgiven. Was my, is my sin any better than his? No. I'm just as bad. But Jesus, in his love and his grace, poured out his forgiveness to me. And therefore, I'm able to forgive others. Because I recognize from where I've come. Does that make sense? In Luke chapter 5, verses 1 to 11, when Jesus told Peter to go and set, you know, like cast out his nets into deeper water and let them down and start fishing there. When the nets were being hauled up, there were so many fish in the nets that they began to tear. And, and Peter needed to help to haul in that catch of fish. And it says in there that you know, when Peter, Simon Peter realized what had happened, he, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh Lord, please leave me. I'm too much of a sinner to be around you. For he was awestruck by the number of fish that they had caught, as were the others with him. And his partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. And Jesus replied to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. See, Peter realizes that Jesus was more than just a man. He was a holy man. He was a man of God. And Peter recognized that he, as a sinner, was unworthy to be with Jesus. Yet Jesus had shown Peter uncommon and unconditional love by filling his nets with fish, the very thing that he needed, despite the sinfulness that he walked in, despite the condition of his heart. Jesus still blessed him. In another encounter, Jesus is on his way back to Galilee from Judea and he passes through Samaria. He meets a woman by a well and begins to engage in it with conversation with her. Jesus doesn't condemn her or judge her. He talks to her by calling her dear woman, dear woman. He treats her with dignity and respect. Perhaps the very things that she was denied as a woman and especially as a Samaritan woman. Jesus touches this woman so profoundly in what he says and the way that he says it that she goes home and tells everybody about Jesus and the different sort of person that he was. She says to him, says to the, to the people in a, a town, she says in, in John chapter 4 verse 29, come and see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Did Jesus tell her everything that she ever did? I think it's unlikely. But I do believe that Jesus talked to her about some things and in a way about some things that were important to this woman 
that were on her heart and he talked to her about issues that she was dealing with and maybe some fears, some thoughts and whatever, some doubts about where she was at. And She says, come and see a man. Come and experience God for yourself. Let him speak to you about what's important and significant to you. Jesus is called the friend of sinners. He's a friend because he paid for and makes available to us what we need. We need forgiveness. Hebrews 9 verse 22 of the New Living Translation says, In fact, according to the law of Moses, nearly everything was purified with blood. For without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Jesus gave his life for us. His blood was shed so that we could receive forgiveness. That's what communion reminds us of. Is there a hunger that only Jesus can satisfy in your life this morning? A hunger to walk in your purpose and have meaning in life? A hunger to walk into and experience eternal life? Is there a hunger to be forgiven completely, fully? As John said this morning at communion, every past, present and future sin of ours has been forgiven by Jesus. Allow Jesus to meet you at your point of need today. Why, why, why Christmas? Because there's salvation in no other name. That's why we need Jesus. That's why we need Jesus. Because there is no other name by which man can be saved. Jesus was set apart for a purpose. So have we been. Jesus was the long-awaited Savior. We are the ones with the purpose of revealing Jesus to our world. Why not invite someone on a journey with you this week to find out more about Jesus and the real meaning of Christmas? Have a look at this.
I was there when Jesus was born, I would probably thank him and tell him how much that I loved him. I like to give Jesus the gift of keeping the commandments. If I was there when Jesus was born, I would thank him. Did I love him and give him toys? Could I obey his commandments? By doing the right things. If I was there when Jesus was born, I would tell him that I love him. Because he's special. Baby Jesus, it's make you happy. His, the story of his birth makes me just kind of emotional sometimes. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, everyone. Can I just appeal to you? Can I just have everyone stand for a minute, Tyler? <clears throat> There's four occasions where you have got the best opportunity of getting someone to come to church. <laughs> There's at a, a wedding, at a funeral, at Easter, and at Christmas. People are more open to going to a church in those times. But this isn't about getting people to go to church. It's about introducing them to Jesus. And that can be done at any time of the day, day or night, on any day of the year. Don't wait to invite someone to church. But I also say, don't let this message and this season go to waste either. It is traditionally a time when people are more open to what God is doing. Use this opportunity to engage people in a conversation centered around why do we celebrate Christmas? Why do you celebrate Christmas? What does Jesus mean to you? Is there any other person in history that's ever shaped the course of history more than Jesus? My encouragement to us today is this. Talk to someone. Engage someone in a conversation but use Christmas as a key to open the door. Use this season, this time, as an opportunity to engage someone in a conversation. Centered around maybe finding their meaning and purpose. Maybe centered around, you know, do you know where you're going to spend eternity? Maybe, do you know what? I found out about someone who gave me the greatest gift of love when he forgave me of everything I'd ever done wrong. Is that someone that you might like to know about? Whatever means that you feel comfortable with in, in sharing the gospel, who knows? Maybe, just, just maybe, invite someone to the special Christmas service we have on the 23rd of, of uh, December. I was going to say January. It would be a bit late. Yeah, it would be. Maybe just use that as an opportunity. Just maybe, just maybe, someone would hear Jesus speak to them and it would change their life. Heavenly Father, I pray for opportunities for us all in this season, in this time of Christmas, to give someone the gift of life, to give them the gift of Jesus who gives eternal life, who provides meaning and purpose, but also 
has forgiven us of everything we've ever done wrong and has declared us as not guilty and disarmed the powers that be of every accusation that could ever be leveled against us. I pray your blessing upon us all as your people this morning in the wonderful name of Jesus. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Thanks, everyone.